This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions' three-part miniseries, Devout and Out. The show follows three LGBTQ individuals who have chosen to become or remain leaders in their respective churches. I've watched through this series twice, and it is easily one of the best series I've seen all year. It's smart, thought-provoking, conversation-launching, funny, heartwarming, and is going to show you a side of Canada you have never seen before. You can watch Devout and Out in Canada on the CBC Gem app or elsewhere in the world on YouTube. Enjoy. After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton, and this week, I'm once again talking to Justine White, director and executive producer of CFC Features. This is the second of the two-part conversation, and if you're just joining us now, I recommend you go back and check out part one to hear more about the history of the CFC and the movies Blood and Donuts, Cube, and Rhymes for Young Ghouls. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and feel free to check out some of the over 150 episodes in our back catalog. If you really like what we're doing, we also have a Patreon where you can donate to the show to help keep it going. All the info can be found for that on our website at rcmpodcast.com. This week, we're talking about 1995's Rude, which tells three stories of young black people living in Toronto's Regent Park, with the narrative tied together by a pirate radio DJ named Rude, a woman with a honey voice and a vicious tongue. We'll also be talking about Adventures in Public School from 2017, a coming-of-age comedy about a brilliant homeschooled young man who deliberately tanks his finals to be able to spend time in public school to get closer to a one-legged girl who's stolen his heart and his mom, who really isn't ready to let him go. Almost all of the films are available, fully restored in some cases, on iTunes and streaming services around the world. Those that aren't right now will be very soon. Make sure to check out the CFC website and social media for updates, at CFC Creates. So, without further ado, here's part two of my chat with Justine White. It's a very similar story for Root, actually, and Clement Virgo. You know, he went through the film center as a writer, not a director. He had uh, one short film that he had co-written with Virginia Rankin called – this is – you're going to have to bleep this one out, small dick, fleshy ass thing. And But he didn't direct that. Virginia Rankin did. And he had this film called Rude – I think it was Rude Boy at the time. And it was so – like it was three stories uh, intertwined uh, – Again, nothing to show, and it's like, okay, this is a really interesting script and really unique, but what directing work do you have? There's nothing that we can look at. We can't just you, – you can't just run into this. Mm-hmm. And somehow he convinced the film center as a writer um, in the program, not even a director, to direct Save My Lost Nigger Soul. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is someone who was knocking at our door weekly um, with different things. And um, again, I remember Wayne Clarkson and I saw the first screening of Rude at the Bloor Cinema at the end of that year uh, for the the film program. And it was like, oh, my God, again, much like Jeff Barnaby, this is a, a filmmaker we have to support. He clearly had 
visual sensibilities, uh, story sensibilities that spoke so clearly to the needs of Rude. It became Rude because Rude Boy was already a film that existed. And that was a happy accident because then Rude became a woman mm-hmm. and the DJ, you know, pilot, pirate radio, which was a nice sort of role reversal at the time. But uh, Rude led to, to many things. And we got, we, you know, we ended up going to Cannes. Yeah. And for the Incertain Regard, which is like all about unusual new ways of looking at the world. And I mean, this was definitely a new and exciting way to look at the world. I mean, this is the first uh, African-Canadian film where all the major creative roles were all filled by African Canadians. It's a predominantly African Canadian cast, uh, and of course, it took till 1995 to do this. We just talked about yeah. Smoke Signals, which was the first uh, all Indigenous-led uh, film in 1998 that came through Sundance. And you're just like, can we? Why did it take us this long to get to this point? We should have been doing this back in like the 70s when everybody else was going through their exper- experimental film fa- uh, phase. Why did it take this long to get to this point? I don't know uh, why it took that long. I mean, you know. We were definitely outside of, of, of the system, um, if you will. I mean, we're saying the same thing right now, even about um, women in the director's chair. Like, mm. why did it take this long in terms of diversity and, and you know, just sort of forcing um, – people to to meet quotas and, and you know or like the the ratio you know 50 50 and 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 really forcing people to look and, and give opportunity to others and it's be it's incredibly fruitful you'll you'll see that at tiff this year we saw it last year we've been seeing it but um i think it had to do with being outside of of uh the normal gatekeepers probably and seeing something new and i mean when uh, clement virgo comes on the scene and you see rude and as a first time like feature film director you're seeing someone who is definitely playing with styles or playing with genre there's like a very theatrical element to it mm-hmm. um very much so. There's also a very like straightforward narrative, and in the th- and then the, then you have like a full on art house film with a Maxine storyline with the three different storylines that integrate, and uh, it's just like it's almost like playtime, but it works because yeah. it's all tied together with that incredible voiceover, which in for any yeah. lesser filmmaker would have been an absolute mess. Uh, yeah. But it just it just everything is tied together so gorgeously. Like, what was the editing like for that? Oh, well, Susan Maggi, was, we, that's who we worked with. I, I mean, that was amazing. It was um, Clement and Susan had a really intense and, and constructive relationship. It's, it's a snapshot. It's it's Easter weekend. Um, it's three different storylines. And it, it's funny, though, you know, you think about them, they're, they're still so relevant. Single moms, uh, relationships, choice in terms of carrying things through or not. Also, homosexuality in the black community. Um, this also feels like a microcosm of, of The Wire before the wire came out yeah but what's even weirder is that it's amazing tiff um uh, i guess it wasn't we we premiered the year we premiered um public schooled uh or adventures in public school as it's now known i think it was 2013 2014 um i'm sorry with my day i'm really horrible with my dates but tiff had uh, restored um, in celebration of Canada's 150th, rude. I remember being at Technicolor and looking at the restoration because it was a 35 that we did into 4K, and it was incredible. And it was the first time I had watched rude probably since 98 because you watch it over and over again, like with the editing, you watch, you know, probably 50s 
cuts. Um, you're watching it over and over again when you're screening it at festivals, when you're screening it uh, theatrically, and you just you kind of have to put things away. You can't look at them anymore, and you stop. But it was so I, I remember watching it, and I guess I don't know how many years later that was, almost 20. And being amazed at how relevant Roots was today still. Yeah. And being kind of really humbled and, and saddened at the same time that, oh, my God, you know, these three storylines are still happening. And what's made me even more uh, sort of glum uh, was sort of reflecting on the landscape in terms of black Canadian filmmakers and cinema in this country and what has happened since Rude and that there wasn't more of it. I'm really happy to be behind Nurse Fighter Boy, which was Charles Officer's first feature that we did as well, supported. That year at TIFF, it was, it was you know, really great to see Black Cop, Corey yeah. um, Bowles' film. Oh my God, Rude, really it stands the test of time. I mean, other than the platform shoes <laughs> so popular in 94 and 95 and a few of the haircuts, everything about it is still so current. And it's funny because, you know, it's screened at TIFF and it's screened, actually, I think it screened yesterday or today at wow. the Locarno Film Festival in a retrospective of black cinema from around the world, including um, Spike Lee's um, She's, oh God, I can't remember which film it is. Uh, um, if it was She's Gotta Have It, that's just yes. so perfect. Okay. I think yeah. Yeah, She's Gotta Have It. That was, and, and a whole bunch of other things. I'm like, wow, this is an amazing company. It's a gem that I think people should look at and revisit if or see for the first time if they haven't, because it's amazing just to s- sort of see what has changed and what hasn't changed and the work that still needs to happen. The biggest thing that changed is the fact that Parkdale is now entirely covered with condos. So, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's funny. Um, I, there was someone that, there, there's a cinema that that hopefully will be opening shortly and w- when they, they were thinking about doing really sort of Toronto themed films that really showcase Toronto because it's not common to see especially with all the service production you don't you see Toronto playing other American cities but not Toronto for itself and that's Molly Maxwell is a film that plays Toronto for itself in a beautiful way which I think you you also had the opportunity to look at. We and have. Jeremy Lalonde brought it and it was a pretty yeah. good little chat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's funny because I mentioned Rude because like the skylines and Rude and everything, but it, it's funny because <laughs> the skyline 20 years ago in Toronto is very different and they didn't recognize Toronto. Well, we talked about uh, Monkey Warfare on the show as well, which is one of the first yes. films about gentrification in Toronto and like very prescient of what was going to be happening, pushing all the artists out. And even then you're starting to see things change. And that was 2005? Yeah. Oh, uh, no, Monkey Warfare was 2006. Because I, I was, I had just given birth to my daughter, and I remember listening to the radio at, and what was going on at TIFF and, and Monkey Warfare, and I finally got to see it after. I love that film. It's that so film good. is so good. Um, one, that's another gem that people should see. But Rude, Blood and Donuts, Public Schooled. You know, again just in terms of stepping stones, uh, I love Public Schooled. Or Adventures in Public Schooled. Sorry, I have to. I keep forgetting to call it its its new title, which is what the American distributors really wanted us to call it. Of course. And this was the most accessible, I would say, of all of the films. It's definitely, it's the most current. It came out 2017. It's definitely built for like that perfect, very streaming service, very VOD, like is what I feel that Blood and Donuts would do very well yes. on now. Yes. Um, so it's, it's built for that, like it's a nice little bite-sized, delicious bite, and then you move on to the next thing, right? But it's still in itself, I'm still laughing about uh, the scene where they're 
regarding our, they're talking about all the different forms of rebellion and like using the F word repeatedly. And I, I love that. It's so funny. And then you've got Judy Greer in the title role, which I want to ask about. So we are very big Judy Greer fans on uh, on this podcast. Very big. Our uh, co-host Cam actually has a T-shirt that says Judy Greer should have been the lead. Um, so so we're yep. huge fans. But I'm curious about casting an American in this role because the rest of the films that we've talked about all have a predominantly Canadian cast. That was our second non-Canadian lead performer in a film. Or no, actually, it was our was it our first or our second? I think I can't remember if it was our first or our second. Yes, I mean that was a really weird feeling for me. I, I had mixed emotions in the sense that proudly 100% Canadian. I think it was 22 Chaser actually that might have been the first, and that was such a unique role, and that was our first time using a non-Canadian lead, and it just so happened uh, that Brian J. Smith, uh, Sense Eight, you know, he was our lead, our Ben, and and that was and and you know what it was also attractive to uh, buyers because there was someone with a name who had a hit uh, TV series with the the Walensky sisters, you know, and, and, and it was great. And with Judy Greer, Kyle and Josh, they are showmen through and through. Um, and they know how to reach audiences and get attention. And they knew that they needed someone who would really get people to stop and pay attention to what it was they were doing. Attracting Judy Greer to this is is really a testament to the script and the opportunity that that role provided her with, uh, you know, the wheelhouse to play in. There were a number of people that were very attracted to um, this, the, the material that was there. And, and I think that comes from the fact that these are two well-accomplished actors in their own right um, who are writing, directing, and producing. Um, that's what I mean about being sort of entertainers through and through. And the same with Jeff Barnaby and the same with Clint Virgo and Holly Dale. These are people who are programmed deeply genetically to entertain. And that's something that you really sort of hunt out. And and uh, they, they, they stick together. They, they draw each other to each other as well. This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions. For over 15 years, the team at Archipelago have been making groundbreaking and award-winning films, television, and corporate video. For brands like Google, Netflix, Etsy, Time Magazine, and the University of Toronto. Visit archipelagoproductions.ca to find out how they can help you elevate and execute your next video project. Kyle and Josh is their first film. Edward, which we talked about on the podcast before, is a very yeah. different film from, <laughs> from this one. I'd actually seen uh, Studies in Motion, the original play, when I lived in Vancouver. And so to see then them to sort of translate that into film was fascinating to me. And again, they also had an American in the lead in that one. So they obviously have that, that global-mindedness about this is how you get a movie broadcast to a wider audience from Canada. So we need that thing. And supposedly Judy Greer was one of the, was like one of the only people they approached for that role, and she just responded back to them with dancing emojis, a heart, and uh, Judy equals the lead, right? Like that yeah, was kind yeah, of the thing. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so I, I love that. And it's also, I mean, Judy is Claire. Judy yeah. is Claire. Yeah. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Americans, I think, and especially older Americans and people who play a lot of B roles want to come here because they get to play leads. They get to play more interesting characters. I mean, you look at Art of the Steel and what a freaking cast on Art of the Steel, but everybody's in their 60s, 70s, and it's people who you don't see very often, Terrence Stamp, people like that. 
Um, and you just ask the question, you bring them in, you've got the, suddenly these like A-list stars working That's, with Canadians. Yeah. What you're saying, it's funny, there's a film at TIFF this year called Tammy's Always Dying. I haven't seen it yet. I'm familiar with the screenplay and the writer and a very similar thing, like the material, again, a, a, killer script killer script um i'm dying to see it i i'm really excited to see it and I, I can't remember the cast off the top of my head but it was like oh my god they really oh it's felicity huffman oh man pre 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 pre-scandal yeah. and uh but like just amazing but again these are roles that um are are really deep and rich and uh i mean getting judy greer was magic too i mean like imagine if we had had say kate mckinnon in the role of claire as opposed to judy greer two very different films what judy brought to adventures in public school just elevated the material in the best way possible and honored the intent and the emotional heartbeat that kyle and josh um also created but yeah i mean it's funny too like you talk about edward which is totally different tonally I have this drawer of scripts like over the years um, that I keep like, again, you know, sometimes things aren't ready and, and, you know, the, the, the way our process works in terms of making the final selection, you know, I, I, I don't want to put people up to fail and I don't, you know, because we, we involve a lot of the community players and we did, it's changing all the time, but at the time, a lot of the, the gatekeepers to sort of uh, give their opinion around the, the, our short lists, but ultimately it was our decision decision or my decision, the film center's decision to make which films we ended up supporting. And you, you, you don't want to put people up to be shot down. And I mean, we're all about launching careers and, and public school was one of them. And I think that was a script actually that was submitted again a long time ago. And they had one short film under their belt that was uh, incredibly well-crafted Um was that the, but, the magical one with the little girl and the and yes. the, that one? Yes, yes, yes. I don't remember what it was called, but it was excellent. Hop the twig. That's it. Thank you. Yes. Wait for rain was their second uh, feature. Yes, yes, yes. Or sorry, short. Again, incredibly well crafted, but it was all voiceover, and this was their sort of support material for the the script of, of of adventures in public school and it was like oh boy and and again the the competition for this program is incredible and and the directors and and especially with the directors and so when i'm talking about people like jeff barnaby or clement virgo or holly dale in their shorts um this was well crafted but it did not speak to um you know, dialogue-driven comedy. Um, and they said, oh, don't worry, we're working on a short film uh, with the NSI called Wait for Rain. And again, you know, I was thrilled. Okay, amazing. Um, saw it. Definitely more dialogue and, and narrative drama between the, you know, going on in, in, in the story. But it still had a lot of voiceover, a lot of magical realism. It didn't speak to what was needed in uh, or by the script that they had presented for 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 the feature and they sort of drifted away um they came back they actually went to the film center they came through the film center's um comedy exchange a number of years later where actually kyle uh Rideout, the director um and co-writer of the script had stepped back as a director and i was like oh my god guys you're back yay i really want to work with you but i really need to see something and they were working on ed weird but they hadn't finished it mm. 
I get busy with other films, other things. Um, I had a deadline open up. I can't remember what year, a few years ago. And I thought, okay, it's been a while since we've had a, a, an open call for submissions. I'm going to open my drawer. I'm going to look at things. And I'm like, ah, oh, there's public school. And I phoned Josh to let him know what was going on and find out where they were at. And he goes, oh, I'm glad you called because we're actually getting things rolling. And, and we we've got, you know, telefilm on board and, but we're missing major financing and da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh, well, that'd be great. You know, did you ever finish Edward? And he was like, yes, we did. And I'm like, amazing. Can I see it? And I saw it and it was like right there, even though the sensibilities are different, the narrative interaction characters, the scale, the hour and a half, like it was just, it, it was clear that they had the, the muscle and the craft and the ability to do it. And, 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 you know, it, the proof is in the pudding again with the, the first feature or yeah. second feature. For I mean, for a first feature, it is deeply, deeply ambitious what they did. Um, yes. And then to go to Adventures in Public School, which everyone everyone knows comedy is way harder than drama. It's just it's yeah. just that simple. And so to be able to hit those beats that are still really funny and really clever and this level of quirk and to, to watch it, there are some moments here that could be deeply offensive to people. Like it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea and sense no. of humor, no. but it also doesn't veer to too far into like Judd Apatowian gross out comedy like it yeah. sits just on the border of that so, but I'm curious about this because there is a lot of f-bombs there is a lot of content uh in terms of reaching the wider broader audience for this was there any thought of like okay how are we going to appeal to the MPAA in terms of content yes there were many discussions around that in terms of who is the audience for this ratings and you know even the emojis <laughs> <laughs> when 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 Liam is um, 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 sexting with uh, Anastasia and pretending, you know, to be her boyfriend, uh, which and, is problematic you know, on a number of levels, and he's he's kind of punished for that, but not really. Totally, yeah. totally, totally. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of discussion around that, and yeah. uh, you know, we we just. Uh, aimed for sort of the older audience and women really, to be honest with you, um, knowing that by default, we'd probably get the younger audience in there. And we did. We just tried to be true to how we, or the, I know Kyle and Josh did, to how people communicated and, and the real world. And I think that's where the integrity comes through. Honestly, I could have watched a whole movie with just Judy Greer and Grace Park, like just about those two mm -hmm. characters uh, mm -hmm. living the life, seeing as they like mm -hmm. they homeschooled their children and eating that liberation. And it, or it made me think about that Amy Poehler movie Wine Trip, where it was just the excuse for her and all her buddies to go do an Adam Sandler and go hang out in Napa. Um, yeah. and, and I was like, OK, I get what you're doing. But like, I want to see that buddy com of like a bunch of women who have had, um, you know, yeah. who've homeschooled their whole life and now they're going to frat parties, they're breaking loose, but they still have the awareness that they have these horribly misadjusted socially children. And I, I love that idea. So getting to watch, especially because Grace Park's so freaking good. She's so good. Yeah. And watching her character just break and become who she is. And you're like, this, this is what I'm here for. So I can totally see you going for the the, the my category of women, the women in their 30s uh, with 100%. that sort of sense of humor. And it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, it's it's interesting that you mentioned too the comedy, you know, comedy is hard. And, and that was also my big fear in, in terms of, again, you know, people hear that tree in the forest when it falls, when comedy doesn't work. I mean, drama, when it doesn't work, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a softer sound, but comedy has a big thud. So that's, it was so important to, to make sure that, that 
they were ready and in the right place. Um, and, you know, things don't happen for a reason sometimes. Your baby, that baby, which, you know, Blood Quantum was Jeff Barnaby's baby, you know, um, public school was was Josh and Kyle's baby. It takes some time and, and that, those, those stepping stones. And uh, I think it's important for filmmakers, too, to sort of realize that, uh, it, you know, it's hard and it takes a long time. I mean, 22 Chaser, we, you know, was submitted to us first in 2002 and we ended up shooting that, I think, in 2015. And that's a long time to get something off the ground. So it doesn't happen overnight. And that, you know, sh- short films are really important. They can also be, they can also hurt you. Like you have to be really careful of, of, of what you do. A scene, making sure that you're doing it right. Uh, you know, is it smart to do a scene? I don't know. I think it's better to do a short film that has a, a narrative shelf life all to itself and on its own, like Vincenzo did with Elevated, you know, um, Barnaby's Wheelhouse with his short. But so you have to be really careful because I have had submissions come in where people do uh, scenes on their own that actually only hurt them. And it's it's not quite the same genre or it's just not demonstrating the skills that they would need to do their big no. project or. okay. No, it's hurting them. It's hurting them. So everything I've been trying to sort of talk about today, too, is is sort of trying to get the ears of the, the emerging filmmakers out there in terms of just, you know, make as much as you can, but stories that stand on their own. And again, with with um, technology being what it is today, it's a totally different ballgame than it was 20 you know, 15, even 10 years ago in terms of being able to, to do stuff. And, uh, you know, so we're able to access talent that you wouldn't normally have been able to get to before as well. And we're, it's such an exciting time right now. I mean, Americans are so hungry for content right now that their streaming services are full of Canadian stuff that we're not even getting here on our streaming services. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where it's like there is now a market. There is a market for Canadian stories, especially on the streaming market of stuff you can just throw on, enjoy getting out those Canadian stories. People are having so much success, especially with genre films. I mean, mm-hmm. we're in this golden age. You look at the Saskas, right? The Saskas maybe could I know. have done what they were doing in the 80s, and now they're redoing Rabbit. And you're like, of course they are. This just makes yeah. all sorts of sense. Um, yeah. But we do have a lot of emerging filmmakers who listen to our podcast. So the goal would be to have your goal project, know exactly what you're going to do, but almost work in a way where you're you're showing your work like a math problem of, yeah. I can get to this. This is how this yeah. works. Totally. I mean, that's a exactly what Adam did. And I remember watching him do that with Next of Kin to family viewing, to speaking parts, to adjuster. You know what I mean? They're all stepping stones. And I think that's what, you know, Clement realized that too with, you know, Save My Lost Nigger Soul and Rude and and everything he did thereafter. And then you see um, Book of Negroes and you're like, well, that's where that yeah. all went. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like it, it, it does take time to get there. And and the thing is, though, is, is it's hard too when you're creating something like you can't just, oh, I'm going to write a low budget short film. And it's like, well, boy, you know, you just got to write and you and and whatever comes out comes out and it is what it is and and you you might have to sort of put it aside and cook up another something that fits within the context of your means um in terms of showing people what you're you're capable of 
Well, you've got two new films coming from CFC very soon, which I'm super excited about. Uh, Tracy Deer's Beans and Sadaf Farohi's Summer with Hope. Man, Sadaf Farohi is exciting. I'm not as familiar with Tracy Deer. Uh, Walk us through those. What are we looking forward to? Uh, I'm, well, I'm really looking forward to Sadaf's next film. I remember being blown away. I saw it at, um, I think, I, I didn't get a chance to see it at TIFF, but I saw it at the top 10 AVA which was her first feature um, that she had done. And for me, it was a visceral experience watching that film in terms of, you know, it, it, it comes from the other side of the world, Iran. It was so universal in terms of uh, coming of age and the tensions, um, you know, that that a, a young teenage woman has with her parents anywhere from 14 to say 17, combine that with the world of Iran and the rules of Tehran and the culture. It was so powerful. And for me, it was such a, such a beautiful uh, companion piece to Persepolis because I started thinking about the two and I was like, oh man, like I want these to be programmed together in a screening. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but again, you know, Ava was like, oh, what is she going to do next? And, you know, she did what she did and how she did Ava was so little and came to her. We partnered with Women in View, which was a a great experience because, again, I was looking at our stats and and going, wow, we've been really good with diversity, culture, um, orientation. But we've been not good with women in the director's chair. We've mm-hmm. been great with women in the producer's chair, writer's chair, and other key roles, but not in the director's chair. So we, we specifically teamed up with them to focus on uh, projects by women directors. And that's how we landed with, with Sadaf Rogi Summer with Hope and uh, Tracy Deer's Beans in terms of just asking people whose next feature would they be most excited to see? from a, a, a woman director from anywhere. And the, the names that we got, these 26 incredible names, and we invited these 26 women to apply, and Sadaf and Tracy were one of, of many and, and, and surfaced to the top. And Sadaf has just finished shooting her uh, second installment. Actually, it's a trilogy um, to Ava. It's Summer with Hope. It's the second installment. Third installment will come many years later, she has, has said and explained, and there'll probably be films in between. Um, but she's just wrapped. She should be coming home soon from um, Iran. Um, she shot in Tehran and in the north of Iran uh, and in the very south of Iran as well. Um, her and Crash will be coming home soon. We're working with Christina Piovazan on that. And it's the story of a, a mother and son this time instead of a mother and daughter. I'm going to leave it at that because there's so much going on with this project right now. <laughs> We're just, we want to get them home. We want to get them back here in Toronto or Montreal is their home, but back home in Canada. And then we've got Tracy Deer's Beans, which is an incredible story. And I'm very excited about that. Tracy Deer, actually, this is her going to be her first feature. Although she has the least experience with narrative which sort of breaks all of my rules that I've been talking about today, which is a, a good thing for me to talk about because, it just you know, exceptions, just like Clement, you know, being the writer who somehow convinced the film center to let him direct a short film. Tracy Deer probably is also one of the most experienced directors outside of Holly Dale that we've worked with. Holly was experienced with um, music videos and, and Tracy Deer, I think it's five or six seasons of oh, Mohawk, Mohawk Girls. Girls. So, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of screen time. And this is a very personal story to her. And it's, you know, she grew up um, through the Oka crisis. She was a 12-year-old through the Oka crisis. So this is um, about that. It's it's not 
totally based on her story. It's inspired by, and there's you know, obviously a lot of creative liberties there um, in coming to this, but it, it, it's about an incredibly dark blemish on you know Canadian history um, and from the perspective of a 12-year-old um, on the flip side of things. And not a lot of people know about the Oka crisis at all. There's a lot of, um, there's stigma attached to the Indigenous voice and stories and sort of downers and, and all of this. And, and that's not what this is. This is a, a, a really powerful coming of age story, opening people's eyes up to just awareness and, and to see it from the flip side. It's over a golf course. They wanted to make a nine hole golf course, uh, 19 holes. I, I cannot wait um, us to get the cameras rolling and done and out there um, because I think it's going to be so important to the world, really. I mean, but Canadian audiences, but it, it will appeal beyond that. I mean, we, there are Indigenous communities all over the world. Um, but uh, much like Jeff Barnaby, you know, his stuff is very reflective of the things he's seen and grown up with. And even just like not me, you know, with doing Rhymes for Young Ghouls, realizing that the, you know, the residential school, the last one to close its doors, the, you know, the, the Indian Act was 1996. That's yeah. not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Same with the Oka crisis. It's not that long ago. And, you know, we're still dealing with this stuff. But um, Well, you watch anything bring... going on with the pipeline, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and I think this is a way of getting people to appreciate and see things from different perspectives and no better way to do it than from the eyes of a 12-year-old who we can all identify with. Well, Justine, you are a very busy woman. You have the world to change and all of these films to produce. Uh, So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, Is there a way people can follow you and your journey on social media? Definitely at CFC Creates on Instagram. Uh, We keep people up to date on everything that we're doing here uh, at CFC Features and uh, more. Uh, in terms of all the the filmmakers we support, all the opportunities, their work once they finish their residency or participation in one of the programs. I can't say enough about our social media channels here. Public Schooled can be seen on iTunes right now. You know, hopefully if we get enough people requesting Blood and Donuts, we can get the distributor to put it out there. We are going to be getting Cube and Rude out there very shortly uh, uh, on iTunes in their restored glory, which is going to be exciting. So uh, just follow us and, and you'll know when and where to find all this stuff. Fantastic. I know for Cube especially, anytime I take the podcast to festival circuits and ask people what their favorite Canadian film is, like 90% of them say Cube. Yeah. Everybody yeah. says Cube. Yeah, that was a that's a hard one to live down. Yeah. <laughs> like, that really was a success on so many different levels, commercially, creatively, career-wise. Yeah, that's a, that was a, a crazy experience. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much, Justine. I really appreciate it. Oh, that's it. been a pre- pleasure to talk to you and have your ear. (laughs) Thank you. And the ears of all of our listeners. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.